You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, next Sunday morning, I am going to be starting a, um, a series called Seven Big Questions. And, and those are the kinds of questions that people ask who don't typically go to church on a Sunday morning. Questions like, how do I know for sure that there's a God? And how can a person really have a relationship with God? Questions like, why does God let bad things happen to people? And so, we're going to be seven weeks of those questions. And it's a time frame for you to really focus on inviting somebody to church who doesn't normally come to church. People that you've been praying for. We've been talking about inviting for a long time. And it's one of those seasons to invite. So, I really hope the next Sunday morning you got somebody with you at church. Somebody you've been praying for, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, uh, somebody that you work with. This is the time to invite people to come with you. And I think what will happen as you listen to these sermons, it will provide you with information to help you talk to people about Jesus. But if you bring people with you, they will hear some good stuff about questions that they're dealing with in their lives. So bring somebody with you next week, okay? A couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, um, we had a prayer service. And I talked about my grandparents who lived in this uh, little Kentucky community. And they raised a very large garden. Um, much bigger than they could ever hope to harvest. And so after they had frozen everything they could freeze and canned, everything they could can, and eaten everything they could eat, they were just begging people, come and get this stuff out of our garden. The harvest would literally rot on the vine. And so one day, Jesus, He's with His disciples, And he sees these crowds of people. And when he looks at these crowds of people, he turns to his disciples, and this is what he says. The harvest? I mean, the harvest is plentiful. I mean, the harvest is massive. But the workers? The workers are few. There aren't very many workers. And so why don't you pray that maybe the Lord of the harvest will send some more workers out into the field. So when Jesus said that, that was like, what, 2,000 years ago, more? And so I guess the question that I have, if Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, is that still true? I mean, is the harvest still plentiful and are the workers still few? So I started doing some research this week, and, and I was reminded that on this planet, some 7 billion people call it home. And out of the 7 billion people that live on the face of the earth, about one-third of them would claim to be followers of Christ. So you got 7 billion people, and about a third of them would say, I'm followers of Christ. That would make Jesus the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the entire world. Nobody has that kind of following. But it tells me that there's still two-thirds who don't know Jesus. And so you say, okay, Rick, I hear you talking about the world, but let's talk about where I live. Can we do that? What's it like in the United States? And so what I, what I read about the United States is that about 
a third of the people, maybe even as many as 35, some people would say even 40% would claim to go to church on Sundays on somewhat of a regular basis. But pollsters would tell us we know how many people are in church on a given Sunday. That number we have pretty accurate. There's enough data to support this that we know that number. And they would say that on a given Sunday morning like today or this weekend, about 20% of the country's population goes to church. And so, if this week you find yourself in Walmart or Target or McDonald's or Burger King and you're standing in a line, and there are five people in your line, the chances are really good that you're the only one who went to church on that previous weekend. So if you find yourself this week in a Target or a Walmart or a Burger King or a McDonald's, and there's five people in your line, the chances are really strong that you're probably the only person in that line who went to church on the previous weekend. And so when I think about all of that, You want to know what I think? I think the harvest is still plentiful. You want to know what else I think? I think the workers are still few. So let me let me give you Jesus' words, okay? Those words come from Matthew chapter nine. Let me start with verse 35, okay? These are the words of Jesus beginning in Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. Matthew in chapter 9 is kind of summing up Jesus' life and His ministry. And, And then He gets to chapter 9, verse 38, and He kind of gives this summary statement. You ready for this? Let me put the words on the screen for you, okay? Jesus went through all the towns and villages. So what was Jesus doing in all of those towns and in all of those villages? And here's what Matthew says. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching, meaning proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he was healing every disease and sickness. So when Jesus went through the towns and the villages, he was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing people. He was teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God and he was healing people of sickness and diseases. And then Matthew says, but when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. Literally, He was moved with compassion. He was gripped with compassion because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. There was a religious system, but there weren't shepherds in the system anymore. They were so consumed with the scribal law that they were more like judges. They didn't have a pastor. And then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, there are not very many workers. The workers are few. And so what do you want us to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, I think you should pray. I think you should ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest field. That's what you should do. You should pray. You should pray for more workers. So, So I ask God's blessings on the reading of His Word today. Amen? Amen. All right. I was with my friend Bob Miller the other day in a staff meeting, and uh, Bob says to me, um, Rick, do you read Chloe Smith's writings? Do you read her blog? And I said, no. And he said, I, I think you ought to read it. He said, when, when I read what Chloe writes, 
um, I find it really interesting. And so I went to Chloe's website. Chloe is a 20-year-old young woman who um, began coming to our church at the invitation of Bob's daughter, whose name is Kelsey. In her, I think, high school years, her and her sister Katie began attending. And uh, instead of going straight to college, Chloe and Kelsey both decided to go to missions for a little bit. So Kelsey is in New Zealand. Chloe is in Calcutta, India. And what she does in Calcutta is that she ministers to, loves, cares for homeless children. In one of the most heartbreaking places on the face of the earth. Calcutta is where Mother Teresa spent so much of her life serving the poor. You might remember Chloe. I think i got a picture we can throw up so you can see her real quick. Uh, this is Chloe. And so you can... Pop the picture down in a minute if you like, but I just wanted you to be able to see her face. Thank you. And so let me just kind of uh, recall what I read in some of her blogs. She said, I wake up this morning and I feel a streak of yellow sunlight across my face. She says, Not far from me is my worn leather Bible, and I reach for it in my journal and my pen. What will the king say to me today? Every day is like a new adventure. And so with my Bible and my pen and my journal, I find this place a sanctuary. I don't even notice the cold tile floor anymore. My warm shawl and the tile floor is right where I want to be. So Chloe says in the midst of spending time with God, there's an old song that comes to my mind. And she begins to quote the words, I come to the garden alone. Anybody remember ever hearing that old song? While the dew is still on the roses, and the voice that I hear calling in my ear, the Son of God discloses. And then Chloe recites the words, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me that I'm his own. (laughs) And the voice... And the joy, rather, we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. But Chloe said, the song goes on to say, but he bids me go. And so I leave this quiet place. And she goes and she loves and she cares for homeless children. And then when she comes back in from the day, Chloe writes, I feel so small in my world, but God in all of His strength overcomes all of my weaknesses. She says the things that used to be so familiar in my life, I don't even remember anymore what they're like. For example, I don't even remember what a warm shower feels like. But I thank God for the cold water to wash my sweaty, dirty face and to wash my hair. And she says, as I comb meticulously through my hair, I thank God that I'm no longer afraid of lice because I've had it for so long now. I close my eyes to go to sleep. And prayers echo through my mind. And I know that when I wake tomorrow, God will be there to lead me again. You see, I understand that I'm looking at people this morning who get that. When you get to be my age, you lose something. 
Many of you guys in this service still have it. You understand what it is to think like Chloe and to think like Kelsey and to say, you know what, I want to relentlessly follow God. I want to, I want to leave everything and follow Jesus. I want to do something major in my life to make a difference in this hurting world. Does God, does God send 20-year-old girls to Calcutta? To care for and love and minister to homeless kids whose heads are full of lice? Does God do that? Does God send people places like that? Does He, does he still send people like that? I think we've got to deal with this whole concept of what we find in the Scripture this morning about God sending people. Because here's what Jesus says. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest will do what? Send. Send workers out into the harvest field. So does God send people? Let me, let me think with you about it for a few minutes, okay? Jesus, one day, is talking to some people. And he says, I want you to understand something, all right? I did not come on my own. This was not me. Not my idea, not my doing. This was not about me. I didn't do this, all right? I did not come here on my own. Then Jesus, if you did not come here on your own, how did you get here? And you know what Jesus says? The Father sent me. And then, on another occasion, Jesus says to his disciples... As the Father has sent me, you better brace yourself. As the Father has sent me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you. And so he gathers in the very next chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, these 12 disciples together. And the Bible says he sent them out. And when he sent them out, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. It's kind of like sending sheep among wolves. It's not going to be easy. It might involve lice. And it's not limited to Jesus coming. It's all through the Bible. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, there's a guy whose name is Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want to send you somewhere. So I want you to leave your country and your people and your homeland and go to the land that I will show you. I can imagine when he's packing up, somebody had to walk up to Abraham and say, Abraham, where are you going? And Abraham says, I don't know. But you're packing everything, including the kids. Where are you going? I just know God's sending me somewhere. And so the Bible says, so Abraham left. You've got this beautiful thing that happens in the book of Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet who says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I mean, I'm telling you, I saw the Lord with my own eyes. The train of His robe filled the temple. There were cherubim and seraphim, and there were coals of fire, tongues of fire. And, and, and then God says, who will we, and here's the word again, who will we send to tell these people? And Isaiah said, I have seen your holiness, God. Here am I. Send me. And, and all through the New Testament, Peter and John, the Bible says they sent to Syria. And Paul and Barnabas, it says, they placed their hands on them after they had fasted and prayed, and they sent them on a missionary journey. Are you okay with the idea of God sending people places? Are you good with that? That, that sometimes people are just kind of going along in life, 
And all of a sudden, God taps him on the shoulder and says, I need you to go there for me. Because that's what God does. God sends people. We, uh, we as a church have been going to a small country in southern Africa for the last seven, eight years. Swaziland. I celebrated with you last Sunday what God has been doing in Swaziland. When I got to Swaziland, I learned that there were some things that I saw repeatedly there. I saw lots of churches, Nazarene churches. I saw lots of medical clinics, Nazarene medical clinics, 17 of them in fact, and a hospital. And I saw lots of Nazarene schools. And the earliest missionaries who went to Swaziland, Harmon Smelsenbach, David Hind, you know what they did? They said, we want to preach and we want to teach and we want to bring healing to these people. And so they built churches and they built hospitals and they built schools because they wanted to preach and they wanted to teach and they wanted to heal. And so they built churches and they built schools and they built hospitals. And obviously it wasn't original with those guys. Because when Matthew tells the story, he says, you know what Jesus does when he goes into the villages and the towns? He was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing their sicknesses and diseases. So Jesus, why are you preaching and teaching about this other kind of kingdom? This other kind of kingdom where the values are different than the values of the kingdom of this world. And why are you healing? And Matthew gives us a hint by saying when Jesus saw all of these people, you know what he was moved with? Compassion. And so he healed sick people. And he told them about another kind of life. Another world that you can be a part of. The kingdom of God. So, when you go to a grocery store... And you see all those people there. What do you feel? Or when you go to a game and you look into the stands and you see like this mass of people, what do you feel? Or when you go to work, or when you go to a movie, or when you're out in life and you see all of these people, what do you feel? Jesus felt compassion. I, th- I think there's a better question. And I think the question is, so what do you do? And here's what Jesus says to do. You should pray. You should pray that God will send workers into the fields. So I, I would love to take a few minutes to talk about us a little bit, okay? And so if you're a college student, you're, you're part of us here, you're... You're extremely valuable to us. We would not be who we are as a church if it wasn't for you. We would never have become what we've become as a church had it not been for college students before you. And so when I think about this church, this church is is an incredible place. I tell people all the time what a great place this is, how much I love this place. 
how, how strong the leadership is here among the people who attend and what great pastors we've had in the past. And I talk about our relationship with Southern Nazarene University. And I talk about our relationship with Southwestern Christian University. And I talk about our relationship with the Bethany school system. And I talk about our relationship with the community. And I just say, this is like an incredible little community to be a part of. It's, it's a great place. There's some people here who love God deeply. So when we think about how God has used us in the past, you've got to ask the question, so what's next? How does God want to use us in the future? I know what God did there, but what is God wanting to do now and tomorrow? It's always a good question to ask, right? So I think I remember sharing with you that a few months ago I ate lunch with your former pastor, Dr. David Busick. And I shared with you that he was given a report to the general board of the Worldwide Church of the Nazarene. And so he talked about some statistics that I think you might find interesting this morning. He talked about the fact that churches have lifespans like people have lifespans. You're born, you live, and then you die. Churches tend to do the same thing. And sociologists would tell us that the typical lifespan of a church is about 40 to 60 years. That's the average lifespan. And so you're saying, Rick, are you really serious? Do churches die Yes, churches. I've buried many of them. (laughs) I've served on district advisory boards, and you have a church, and it was born, and it grows, and then the attendance begins to drop, and it begins to decrease, and finally it dies, and I'm there in the room, and I raise my hand, and I vote to close the church. It's gone. There's nothing left. Just officially close the church. We do it all the time. This church has been an exception. 105 years. And you just kind of grown, and you just kind of been steady, and you just kind of held it, and you continue to hold it, and you continue to hold it. It's amazing to me. You're exceptional. And I find a lot of hope when I stand in this room this morning, and I see the number of young people in this room. It tells me that the future is very bright for Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. So David also talked about urbanization in his report. It is the demographic transition of moving from the rural to the urban. It's people moving from rural communities into urban centers. And so the Worldwide Health Organization tells us that today... There are more people living in urban centers than living in rural areas for the first time ever. And here's what that has looked like historically. 100 years ago, 100 years ago, two out of every ten people lived in a city. Okay? 100 years ago, two out of every ten people lived in a city. By 1990, four out of every ten people lived in a city. By 1994, out of every ten people lived in a city. Today, today, five, over five out of every ten people live in a city. They project by 2030, six out of every ten people will live in a city. Fifteen years from now, six out of every ten. And by 2050, seven out of every ten people will live in a city. 
people are moving to the cities. You say, why? Because we're moving from an agricultural-based economy to a mass industry, technology, services kind of economy. And all the people are coming to the cities. We've got to plant churches in the cities. We don't have enough churches in the city now. I, I, I remember I was with a pastor friend years ago when I was, I was very young. I was pastoring my, my second church and we were driving through the little town that I was in and he was there to kind of support me for a couple of days. And he says to me, he says, Rick, do you ever think about planting another Nazarene church in this town? And I said, oh, oh no, we, I don't think we need another Nazarene church in this town. We already have two. Town of about 40,000, 50,000. And I remember what he says to me. He kind of turns and looks out the window away from me and he says, Oh, really? He says, How many Baptist churches are in this town? There were like 25 maybe. I said, Okay, I'm kind of embarrassed. I think I got your point. I remember he looks at me that day in my car and he says, Hey, Rick, if you had three times as many churches in this town as you have now, so however many churches there are in this town, if you had three times as many, you wouldn't have enough churches. Did you know that if everybody in Oklahoma City decided to go to church next Sunday, we would need about four times as many churches just to get them in a building? I remember standing here not too long ago, maybe just over a year, and my friend Thaddeus, he's over here, wave at me, my friend, and he stood beside me, and I said, Thaddeus, we are going to send him just down the street to a place called Two Lakes. We have a food pantry there where we're giving food away. And Thaddeus is going to love on those people and he's going to pray over those people when they come in to get food. And at 5 o'clock he's going to do a Bible study. And Thaddeus went. We sent Thaddeus out. There's that word again because sometimes God sends people, right? And so I remember Thaddeus began to love on those people and pray for them and he began to build relationships with them and wasn't long after that till one Wednesday night, Thaddeus called me on my phone and he says, Pastor Rick, some of these people are wondering if maybe I could come back on Sunday morning and maybe we could have a little worship service on Sunday morning I could preach to them on Sunday morning. Do you see any problem with doing that? And I go, well, Thaddeus, it's not what I thought we would do. It's not kind of the direction I thought we would take at this point, but I guess it's okay. I mean, I don't see why it would hurt if you want to go back and preach to them on Sunday morning. And so... That Sunday he showed up and I said, how did it go? And he said, there are about eight or nine of us. It went really good. Next time I talked to him, there were about 15. And I remember one Monday I talked to him and he said, Pastor Rick, there were 20, 19 rather of us this morning. I ran into him a few weeks ago and I said, Daddy, is you still having 15 to 20 people come on Sunday morning? He goes, well, we were until last Sunday. And I don't know what happened last Sunday. And I said, what happened? He said, last Sunday we had 31. Do you have any idea what I feel in my heart when I think about just down the street on Sunday mornings at 9.15 people are walking in the door of a food pantry slash church and they're going to get hugged by Thaddeus because Thaddeus is going to get his arms around you. you know, And you're going to get prayed for and somebody's going to stand up in front of you and tell you that there is a Jesus who loves you and there is hope in life. People who may never, ever, ever come through the doors of Bethany First Church 
are walking in those doors and they're finding hope every week. I had breakfast yesterday with a worship pastor from Life Church. And he said, You know about our new campus that we're opening at Britain and Broadway? And I said, Yeah, I heard about that. And he says, We're going to keep planting churches in this city. We got plans to plant more and more churches in this city because there are still thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this city who do not know Jesus and do not have a church. We never have had enough churches in the city, and we sure won't have enough churches in the city for the future. And so, what do you do? You pray. You pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers because the harvest is massive, but the workers, there's not very many workers. And so, we've got to pray that God will send workers into the field, right? Can I read you something real quick? Um, when you think about it, God sent somebody here, right? I mean, there was a day when this church wasn't here, right? Somebody had to start it, right? And so, C.B. Jernigan, one of those early guys who came, he writes about it. He's talking about Bethany, okay? This was known as a wild and woolly territory, he says. You didn't know your ancestors were woolly, did you? On account of the class of people who inhabited it. Bandits and cowboys and people who could not legally live in any state. They thought themselves safe here, hid away from the world among the Indians. And yet among them were some very choice characters and to people who seldom heard a real sermon of gospel salvation. It just wasn't heard in these parts. It was indeed a very needy place and ripe for the sickle of the pioneer who dared trust God and go without the promise of a cent of remuneration and to expect to get this reward, or his reward rather, at the end of the race. And then he says, some choice characters sacrificed their all to carry the gospel to these needy people. 105 years ago, God sent somebody here. We are recipients. So who are we going to send? So what do you do? Jesus says, pray. No, we're doers. Don't do first. Pray first. But I'm a busy guy. Don't be. Pray. So we have people who are feeling called. We have dreams. We have visions. And the Lord says to me this morning, hit the pause button. Don't talk about that. Pray. Pray that God will send workers. Because the harvest is massive, but there aren't many workers. We've got to have workers. We need Chloe's. And we need Kelsey's. 
We need people who will go to the harvest field. It's going to feel a little strange in these next few moments. I don't want it to feel strange, but it could. Because really what I want us to do as we go is to pray. And so I want you to stand with me, if you will. And Kyle's going to come and we're going to sing in a moment. But I want to lead us in a prayer. And the way that I want us to pray is like this. I would like for a lot of you to come. And I want us to make a statement in our coming and kind of kneeling on our knees, taking on this posture of asking all around the altar and all around kind of the front edge here and around the front seats and just around the front anywhere you can get. And I want us to get on our knees and I want us to pray this prayer. And then, this is really important to me, we have this worship folder that you get when you come in. It's not just about some announcements, but we have a pastor named Mikkel Levine, and she does a great job writing devotionals for every week. And here's what I'm asking you to do. You may say, yeah, I don't use that thing. Uh, I do some other stuff. I understand that. But would you use it this week? Would you add it to whatever you're doing? Or if you say, hey, Rick, I'm going to level with you. I really don't do devotion stuff. I really don't read my Bible and pray. Then this is going to be huge for you. You're going to love this. This is going to help you get back on that track. Or maybe on the track for the first time. But together, I want us to pray about God doing something in this city. Okay? And so we're going to pray in unity this week. Every morning, afternoon, evening, we're all praying the same stuff. We're all doing the same devotion. We're all reading the same verses. We're asking God to speak to all of us. But this comes with a warning. There's a disclaimer here. It is dangerous. Because God's Word is alive and it's active. And your life may change as a result of it. And you may become the answer to your own prayer. God might send you. So let's sing. And, and I would just say this. As many of you who would be willing to, could we just make it really awkward and crazy and a bunch of us up here on our knees before God and could we pray that simple prayer, God, send workers into the field. Would you join me? Let's pray, okay? Come and join me around the altar, would you? You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of the nations. You're the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace in the Greater things have yet to 
Father, I feel like through my brother Thaddeus, you have given us just a glimpse. Just a glimpse of what you want to do. And it's almost like you just kind of handed this to us. But I feel like places like this should be springing up all around. And I know this is very early in this ministry, and I don't know what all of your plans are for it. But as I lay my hands on my brother, Lord, I pray that you will use him. I pray, Lord, that it will be a place of holy fire. A place where people find Jesus. A place where people find hope. A place where people are reconciled to you. When we think about the mass numbers of people who are moving into urban centers... I feel like, Lord, that we have to pray that you will send harvest workers into the cities. We don't have enough churches in the cities now. We certainly don't have enough churches in the cities for the future. And so, in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we come to you in obedience today, according to your Scripture, and we pray, Lord of the harvest, would you please send workers into the harvest field? Because you are a God who sends people. And for the people who are feeling called even now, and for the people who have been getting together for prayer meetings lately, not only, Lord, confirm in their hearts your calling on them, but add to their number, I pray, God. We don't know all that you're going to do. We don't have any church to ever compete with. The need is so great, it overwhelms us. So we're praying from our hearts this morning, God, send workers into the field. And help us to reach our city for Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, Amen. And would you sing these words with us? And would you sing them with conviction before we go? There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. Sing it out.
Keep this close by, will you? And pray with me this week. Will you do that? So God bless you. Let's pray together this week. Have a great week. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.